peering into the crystal ball on this healthcare edition of Industry Focus. Greetings from Full HQ in sunny Alexandria, Virginia, as my fellow Industry Focus host, Sean O'Reilly, might say. Christine Harge is here with healthcare investor extraordinaire Todd Campbell on the phone. How's it going, Todd? Oh, I'm excited about this show. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So the premise behind today's episode, sometimes on the show, we talk about the future of healthcare, and I kind of get the sense that there are some really shocking things that we think should be already here that aren't. For example, interoperable electronic health records or you know, something like that, where healthcare seems like it's lagging a bit behind some of these other industries that have adopted the newest, latest, greatest technology. But today's show is just the opposite. We are talking about some crazy, futuristic-seeming things that are already here and already on the market. So the first one that we want to start with is robotic surgery, which seems like a really crazy concept, but it's here. It's happening. It is amazing. I mean, you know that we do a lot of prep work, obviously, whenever we're uh, getting ready for our shows. And when I was doing the prep work for today's show, I couldn't help but think about some of the you know, favorite science fiction movies. Christine, do you like uh, Matt Damon? I am so bad at pop culture, I don't even know who that is. That's embarrassing (laughs) to admit. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, he had this movie, and it was called Elysium. And in Elysium, there was this healthcare pod, and you could just lay down in it, it would diagnose you and cure you. And I started thinking, okay, well, how do we get to that point from where we are today? And what's fascinating is I think that one core building block of getting to those healthcare pods is going to be uh, advances in robotic surgery. You know, I almost wanted to make a reference to, (laughs) there are so many people that are about to judge me for not knowing the difference, but it's either Star Wars or Star Trek where there's some sort of like magical diagnosis machine. Do you know what I'm getting (laughs) at? Judging is going to begin immediately. I I know. I'm going to get some listener emails about this. (laughs) My apologies. But anyway, I'm sure most of you out there listening know what I'm talking about. Fingers crossed anyway. But yeah, yeah, so the Star Trek and the hologram and, and, you know, the whole concept that that you could have virtual caregivers. Yeah, there you go. That reality is getting closer than many people may realize. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, to your point, it sounds like science fiction, but this is something that's out here, um, particularly with a company called Intuitive Surgical that makes this device called the Da Vinci Robot. Yeah, they are the granddaddy of robotic surgery, no question. They um, pioneered the space. Uh, It's a company that's been around since the mid 90s, and they licensed technology. Um, for robotic surgery that was developed in the 80s uh, by a company named SRI International that had government contracts to you know, build a system, if you will, that would allow them to conduct surgery on the battlefield uh, more efficiently. And you know, Da Vinci has been you know, s- slowly but steadily growing uh, and becoming a, a big part of um, various, you know, surgical procedures ever since. You know, I think the first Da Vinci came onto the market about ninety nine uh, or two thousand, um, and now you know it's one of the most commonly used uh, ways to do things like hysterectomies and um, you know prostate surgery. 
So the question that comes to mind for me thinking about robotic surgery would be, is it worth it? And I, I guess there are plenty of elements to that question. You know, is it worth it from a cost standpoint or efficacy? What do you think there? I mean, is this something that makes sense to adopt? Well, you know, you look at these machines and they're kind of scary looking. I mean, they've got all sorts of arms that look like tentacles and, you know, instruments that can go inside your body and and move things around and 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 stuff. So, I mean, yeah, I mean these are these are uh they're futuristic systems and you got to wonder, you know, is this system really any better than, you know, Mr. XYZ who, you know, has been conducting open surgeries for 30 years and, you know, does four or five of them a day. Um, The argument for robotic surgery, however, is that, you know, you're talking about the ability to conduct certain surgeries with very small incision points rather than large incision points. Um, That Theoretically, that could obviously reduce the amount of time and recovery, uh, reduce costs to the system by keeping people out of intensive care units or uh, getting them back into their homes more quickly. Um, these machines are also, you know, fairly easy to control and they're steady. I mean, you don't have to worry about, you know, uh, as much, I guess, if you will, about a, a human hand and, and potential tremors or anything while conducting surgery. So, you know, there are arguments that you can make that would say that, okay, well, this is this robotic surgery offers advantages to just say the traditional person peering into um, a person's abdomen to, to, to conduct these. I would say that overall, one of the biggest advantages, though, is the ability to uh, magnify the workspace, if you will, for the doctor. So, you know, these machines have cameras and these cameras magnify what the doctor is seeing. And now it's like, you know, zooming in on a PowerPoint presentation and being able to see every single little detail rather than staring at it in 2D. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, it almost is like you're not completely removing the human element. You're just making the doctors almost superhuman. Um, When you're talking about the doctor's handshaking or something like that, it reminded me earlier today, I was talking to one of my coworkers about going to the dentist, and she mentioned that her dentist, last time she was there, mentioned that he had just bought a Fitbit. And my immediate thought there was, oh my gosh, what if he's doing something to my tooth and happens to make his steps and it starts vibrating and he's working on my mouth? Like, there's that's just one example of the human error that can be involved here. And so right. I, and, you know, I mean, it might be helpful too to kind of paint a virtual picture, if you will, for um, our listeners. You, you know, essentially what, what we're talking about here, these Da Vinci systems, they're systems that sit near the bed where the surgery would be performed. And the surgeon actually will sit behind in a control console that's operated by levers that are operated by the hands and by foot foot pedals. Um, they're staring into a um, almost like goggles, if you will, uh, that you know are attached to a camera uh, with these instruments, and that allows them, if you will, that three D experience as they're conducting the surgery. So. Their hands and their feet are moving the instruments as they're doing it, so they're not fully removed. Um, but again, there's, you, know, you could argue there's some, there's some advantages. So who else is in this space? Does Intuitive have it to itself? Oh, they are, they are absolutely the, the market share leader. They're the Goliath out there. Um, there's some upstarts, we'll talk about them in a second, who, who want to hone in on their territory. But this has been, you know, they've been groundbreaking and controlled this market for the last 16 years. They, they've got 3,600 of their DaVinci systems installed um, throughout the globe, 2,400 here in the U.S. alone. 
Um, they are, if you're going to get robotic surgery at this point in time, it's going to be done using a Da Vinci system. And of course, that's, that's very good for investors, right? Because, you know, first you've, you've got these systems that are being sold and of course they're not cheap, right? But they also have, you know, recurring revenue streams that they receive from selling those or installing those systems because every time a procedure is done, you know, some instruments need to be discarded and thrown in the garbage. New instruments need to get replaced. Um, as it stands now, we're talking about a market that's about 2.3, 2.4 billion. And, you know, they it could grow, you know, fairly exponentially over the course of the next decade or two. Right. So you've got that razor and blade model that we know is extremely effective. And 70% of their sales right now come from that recurring blade type model, which seems really promising. But you mentioned that there are some upstarts that could threaten them. Yeah, there are a couple different companies. One is one is really an upstart, and the other is just a deep-pocketed company. But uh, the upstart is a company called uh, Transenterix, and they are developing something called the Surgibot. And the Surgibot is a much lower entry point cost, um, uh, about a, a third or of the value, roughly, of uh, the average Da Vinci system. Um, it has not been FDA approved yet. They were supposed to get approval last month. Uh, it got pushed back to potentially getting approval this month. If it does get approval, then they're going to go out and start pitching it probably to smaller hospitals that haven't been able to pony up the million dollars plus to buy the Da Vinci. Um, there's some advantages. They, they claim that you know they've got a system that provides with uh, better feedback to the to the doctor, uh, haptic feedback, uh, an articulating camera uh, that could be you know something that doctors would favor. Um, and, you know, you don't have to sit behind a console and be that far removed from the patient. You know, this is a mobile system that theoretically can be moved from operating room to operating room. But again, Transenterics is a very, very small firm. They don't have a lot of cash on their balance sheet. You know, they're just they're going to launch this thing and basically hope that demand is big enough to, to be able to, you know, eventually carve away a little bit at a time at intuitive surgical's dominance. And then the other company um, is, of course, much bigger. I mean, this is a, we're talking about uh, a combination uh, between Johnson & Johnson and Google Life Sciences. Um, they created this company called Verbs uh, Surgical. Uh, they're going to mold, take, you know, Johnson & Johnson's vast experience in surgical instruments and med tech, m- put that together with Google's experience in analytics and try to come up with, um, a better mousetrap than Intuitive Surgical. But you, they just got started last year. Who knows when they might even have a product uh, that could uh, compete in this place. So one final question on this topic. Looking forward, say, three to five years, do you think this is a winner-take-all market? And if so, which of these three ventures would you put money behind? No, I don't think it's winner-take-all. I mean, you know, you're, Last year, there were 652,000 procedures done via robot. That was about 20% of all the procedures that have been done uh, since the first Da Vinci rolled out 15, 16 years ago. You know, procedure volume is growing exponentially. It's 12 percent to 14 percent a year. And, you know, as it stands right now, Intuitive Surgical thinks that without any further innovation, their target market uh, is four um, uh, four times, well, more than four times as big as it is today. You know, I mean, there's 50 million surgeries that are done in the U.S. every year, 200 million done worldwide. I think that this is a, a market opportunity that's got a lot of long legs. 
um, the way to play it if you're interested. In my opinion, it would be intuitive surgical. Uh, and then, of course, obviously keep your eye on these other players. Okay. Before we move on to the second half of our show, I've got a question for our listeners. Are you always looking for high-quality stock ideas and research to back it up? If the answer is yes and you haven't checked out The Motley Fool's Stock Advisor, then that could be exactly what you're looking for. Check out focus.fool.com to learn some more and also get access to a special pricing discount just for our podcast listeners. Again, that is focus.fool.com. All right. So we've covered robots and how they're removing humans and all their flaws from surgery. It's totally sci-fi. It's awesome. Our next topic is kind of the opposite of this concept. It is taking the most fundamental part of our human selves to improve health outcomes. So I'm talking here about DNA and DNA sequencing. Todd, Broadview, what is going on in this space? We've got science fiction all over the place that's reality, right? I mean, the whole concept of being able to rewrite um, the the parts of our genetic code that are are you know malfunctioning um, and and cure disease at the very base cause of it uh, is absolutely fascinating. And you know what we're t- dealing with here are these uh, are technologies that are known as gene sequencers, and they're made by a company named Illumina. There's some others that do it as well. These sequencing machines allow you to basically dive deep into um, the DNA of living things, maybe plants, maybe people, maybe food, whatever, whatever. You're able to dive into this, find problems within those genes, and theoretically come up with solutions to those problems. This is so, so cool. I mean, I just absolutely loved doing research about this this morning. I mean, just thinking about the beginning of the Human Genome Project, which was completed 13 years ago, and how far we've come to today is incredible. I mean, this is something that sequencing the first human genome took 10 years and now it takes a couple of hours. It, it cost $3 billion to do the first one, depending on who you ask. Now it's about $1,000. Yeah, it's amazing. And what's happening is that technology in, in this space is, is growing so quickly that they're able to build smaller and faster and better machines and come up with um, machines that you know are either targeting the high end where you need a lot of throughput and a lot of deep dive, deep sequencing, and then you're also targeting you know smaller markets for small labs that would be able to do you know maybe explore one particular aspect that that they wanted to do research on. That's that's the new mini uh, version that that Illumina just rolled out in January that only costs fifty thousand dollars. And this so, totally makes sense with. With the direction that you see healthcare taking now, where medicine is increasingly personalized. Yeah, I mean, there's a huge push towards personalized medicine, and rightfully so, right? Because we're finding that so many diseases uh, are tied to some some mutation of a gene, or an absence of a gene, or a problem with a protein, or or something like that. And, you know, being able to, to go through and actually find them is step one of being able to then go back and say, okay, now that we've found the problem, you know, how do we create a medicine, uh, either be, is it an RNA, you know, type medicine? Is it, is it gene editing? Is it an immunotherapy? What is it? And how do we go about now repairing that DNA, the genetic code? So, you know, the future of gene sequencing is quickly and rapidly evolving towards you know, pairing up gene sequencing with the clinical research that's getting done uh, to develop drugs. 
Indeed. So right now, Illumina controls about 90% of this gene sequencing market. What do potential investors need to know about this company? Well, you pretty much just summed it up. I mean, 90% of the market, I mean, they, they're the dominant player. Okay. There, there are other uh, companies out there that make sequencing machines. You've got um, Life Technologies, which is owned by Thermo Fisher that participates. You've also got Pacific Biosciences that just rolled out their latest model um, at the end of the fourth quarter. Uh, but they're small bit players. You know, Illumina's got 7,500 plus machines installed, you know, throughout the world. And for comparison, Pacific Biosciences has about 160 machines. You know, Illumina does $2.2 billion a year in sales. And for comparison, you know, uh, uh, Pacific Biosciences does less than $100 million. So they are um, the Goliath in the space. And being the Goliath in the space means that they've got the resources and the financial firepower to really move this whole DNA sequencing thing into new realms. Yeah, and I think what you're leading into right now is their new Grail initiative, which could be by far the most important thing that they've done yet. Oh, well, you know, it's fascinating because you think about cancer and cancer is always evolving. It mutates and that's what makes it so hard to treat. Well, if you're able to to detect cancer early on, then you know you're going to be able to treat it more effectively. I mean, you know, most cancers, unfortunately, half of them are discovered in stage three or stage four levels. And that makes it extremely difficult uh, to treat them. You have to use more and more toxic um, chemicals uh, and medicines to try and treat them. What Illumina is doing with Grail is it's taking all this experience in analyzing the genome and leveraging that to be able to identify biomarkers that are kicked off by cancer cells. So theoretically, Grail would allow you to detect cancer far sooner than you would be able to detect it otherwise. Yeah, maybe before you even have symptoms is the ideal. Um, What it's doing is instead of scanning for the effects of cancer, it's actually a direct measurement of cancer DNA. So your chances there of finding something early are much greater. And then that means that your chance of survival are much greater. So the- yeah, and this is a big market. I mean, you, you, if, if you look at Illumina's presentation, it's available on their website. I urge everybody to go to their website and check it out. Um, you know, they talk about a base case where this could be a $20 billion a year opportunity. And that's just if you're detecting stage two or higher cancers in patients who are at high risk. If they evolve this technology to a point where they're able to detect stage one, and be able to evaluate most patients and tell doctors where that tumor actually is located, then they think this could be this could the sky is the limit, basically. Yeah, this bull case has a two hundred billion dollar market opportunity in theory. Yeah, in theory. Yeah, we don't let's we won't get the cart too far in front of any of the horses. Let's just assume that that this is going to be a diagnostic tool that we should see over the course of the next few years start to get rolled out in high risk patients and know that this eventually could be a heck a more of a meaningful revenue contributor for investors than the sequencing machines themselves. 
Yeah, Illumina, ha- Illumina has a greater than 50%, greater than 50% ownership in this venture. It's also got investors like Bill Gates, uh, Jeff Bezos from Amazon. Really, really interesting part of this company to take a look at and follow as they make progress. Uh, one housekeeping note before we sign off, we now have a Facebook group for all of the Motley Fool's podcasts. Search on Facebook for Motley Fool Podcasts. It's a private group, but spoiler alert, if you request to join, we will probably let you join. Uh, And we can continue the conversation there. Todd, thank you so much for your time today. Folks, thanks for listening. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against these stocks, so don't buy or sell based solely on what you hear. That's a wrap for today's show. Until next time, Fool on! Fool on!